The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to the Money Answer Show with host Jordan Goodman. Whether you are starting out, deep into your retirement, or somewhere in between, the Money Answer Show has the know-how to help you. Now here's your host, Jordan Goodman. Welcome to the Money Answer Show. This is Jordan Goodman, your host. My guest this hour is Nicole Lappin. Uh, she has uh, written a new book called uh, Rich Bitch, and we're going to talk about that. Welcome to the show, Nicole. Thank you so much, Jordan. Thank you for having me. Let's just start with your background a little bit and what led you to wanting to write uh, this book. Wow, I am the least likely person to be a finance expert or even in the business news world. I didn't grow up reading the Wall Street Journal. I didn't have it on the kitchen counter. I was actually first-generation American. I had an immigrant family that never talked about anything but stashing your cash under the kitchen sink as the best place to put your money. So I was never taught this in school. I never learned the language of money. My boyfriend in high school actually said he wanted to be a hedge fund manager. And Jordan, I kid you not, I thought he wanted to be in gardening. So <laughs> I was totally clueless until I got a job on the floor of the Chicago Merck when I was 18 years old. And I needed to learn this language of money very quickly quickly. And what I realized is that it was a language just like anything else. And I couldn't be mad at myself because I just never learned the language. So at first it sounded like Chinese. Um, as anyone who doesn't know how to speak a language, it might sound very funny to me. And then I started learning the language. And not only that, I spoke it to the world. And what I realized is that there was just no Rosetta Stone that spoke to me. So I wanted to create one for my former self. So do you get a sense that a lot of younger women are in the similar situation? They're really kind of uneasy about this whole world of personal finance and need uh, kind of, as you would call it, a translation to the, their own lives? Yeah, I think we smile and nod a lot during these money conversations instead of actually asking questions. Uh, the language in and of itself is very intimidating. Uh, you can speak the language fluently, so you know this doesn't apply to you necessarily, but if you can imagine that you never learned this language yourself, it can be quite intimidating and really scary. And that's how I felt. So I wanted to be able to create something that spoke in real English, that was sassy, um, that swore, <laughs> um, because I swear in my real life. And, you know, I wanted to decode uh, the language of money for the very first time for young women, especially who sometimes feel left out of the conversation. So you call it a simple 12-step plan to decoding financial jargon having the life you want. Actually, that's the first. that was our first iteration. The subtitle right now is a simple 12-step plan for getting your financial life together finally. And yes, I it's see. a 12-step plan like many other 12-step recovery programs out there. Things are always easier in steps. Now you have a website. Uh, tell me about your website and what kind of social media and things are available at that website for people to follow up about all this. Yeah, so NicoleLappin.com is where you can 
go to continue the conversation through our social media channels. It's a very active community um, where you can also take a 30-day Rich Bitch Challenge. And then there are a host of tools that you can get there for free, a free budgeting tool that's a plug-and-chug, easy-peasy um, budgeting system, and uh, retirement calculators, all sorts of other fun tools that you can find there uh, that can help complement your reading of Rich Bitch. And then you can get the book online at that website as well. Absolutely, and you can find it everywhere uh, books are sold right now. Uh, we, we hit the number one for new releases on Amazon, which is awesome. So I love to hear this positive feedback. Uh, you can find them at Barnes & Nobles. I've been uh, signing stock across the country as I'm continuing on this crazy book tour. Um, and yes, you can find it on the website as well. You can also get a free ebook that I created, A Rich Bitch Guide to Love and Money, which is uh, where we talk about the intersection of love and money in all stages of your relationship, whether you're shacking up with your significant other, getting married or getting divorced. It's actually a pivotal time that a lot of women want to take control of their financial lives. So you talk a lot in this book about the rich bitch attitude. How would you describe uh, the attitude of being a, a really high quality rich bitch? So a rich bitch is a good thing. A rich bitch has confidence. Uh, she has attitude, but she knows what she wants out of life and she goes after it. So she comes up with goals in all aspects of her life. And it doesn't just have to do with math and numbers and a checkbook. Money goes back to every single story. And I can tell you being a news anchor for over a decade, uh, Jordan on CNN, on CNBC, on Bloomberg, that every story goes back to money. You just have to follow the money trail. So that's what I do in Rich Bitch. And being confident enough to call yourself a rich bitch is someone who has control of what she wants out of life. And goals have price tags. Goals are pricey. So first we come up with goals and then we figure out how to achieve them together and live the life we want. Now, your first chapter is what you call Stop Smiling and Nodding. What, what does that mean when you say people are smiling and nodding? They really don't know what's going on, but they don't want to look embarrassed about it. Is that what you're saying? That's absolutely right. I think women will talk to each other about every other topic before money, our weight, our relationship. Yet money relates to everything, and each and every one of us is the CEO of our own empire. So whether you're working, you're living, you're paying bills or shopping, Jordan, you are obviously in your own finance department. So changing your mindset uh, from a place of deprivation and starvation is how rich bitches look at their goals and their finances. So I argue for the morning latte. Uh, you can buy your morning latte and still reach your money goals. So rich bitches want to be independent and they want to join all money conversations that are thrown at them. Now you say one of the important things to do is to admit you have a money problem. Do you think a lot of people don't admit they have a money problem and, and therefore they kind of go on and things get worse? Yeah, I think like other 12-step recovery programs, that is the first step. Absolutely. You sometimes need to say, hey, I have a problem done and done and let's move on. And I have many issues as well. We all do. I think from being on television for so long, you know, I had heard people look at me saying, oh, she must be, you know, she must have it all together. She's on TV. Look at her. And, you know, the, the truth is that I had uh, more issues than Vogue, I like to say. So for me, it was really important to re be very raw, real, and authentic in talking about my stories and my misadventures when it came to learning the language of money, but also mastering my own money. So I am pretty honest about the guy who was a hedge fund manager, who uh, would be hedge fund manager at the time, who dumped me because I couldn't talk to his Wall Street friends. Well, in a very sort of L. Woods 
uh, way, I think his Wall Street friends want to hang out with me now. <laughs> so, um, so I think it, money becomes much more interesting and much more palatable when it relates to stories because I think it's cultural and when it's told that way, it becomes much more exciting and interesting. So how can young women who are not exposed to these things, as you said, hedge fund was like a completely foreign world to you, how can they learn the lingo and being comfortable with these things, which otherwise they're, as you say, smiling and nodding and not really knowing what's going on? Yeah, Rich Bush is a jargon-free zone. It was really important to me to create that. Also, in the back of the book, there is a dictionary that you don't need a dictionary to understand. As I was coming up in the finance world, uh, I didn't have a resource, a go-to guide that actually spoke to me in a language I could understand. I sometimes needed a dictionary for the definition of a lot of things I was looking up. So I wanted to create something uh, that includes stuff that nobody tells you about money. You don't need to be born with a silver spoon in your mouth. You don't need the right schooling uh, to master your money, whether you're negotiating bills and purchases or finding extra money by making your social network work for you or asking for a raise and getting it. Uh, this is the practical uh, money stuff that you won't learn in school. And frankly, we don't ever learn uh, personal finance in school. So, um, you know, there's nothing wrong with admitting you have a problem, which, as you say, is the first step. Just don't put your head in the sand and look your destiny in the eye. Yeah, it's true. A lot of people are not getting these things. At high school, college, they get to their first job, they hand them a 401k brochure and say, you pick, pick between these 50 different funds and People are completely unequipped to handle these kinds of things. Uh, right, first. that's crazy talk. So, yeah, you, I felt like there was a void um, in reaching this audience that would have maybe never picked up a money book otherwise, maybe would have been intimidated to do so. Um, so I didn't just want to compete in a personal finance section of the bookstore. I wanted to compete in front of store. I wanted to create a skinny bitch for money. Uh, so I was reporting on the forefront of the greatest financial crisis of our time, as you know, and I can tell you that there is a new normal. It's not the uh, quintessential American dream anymore. It's really your dream and your destiny. And I think entrepreneurialism is a huge winner of this recession. So I wanted to speak to young women, especially who may be starting their own business, maybe a mompreneur, may, uh, may be starting a business on the side. I think women are no longer just in their cubicle. It's a new normal. And I wanted to create content that reflected that norm. Uh, now, let's talk about what the conventional wisdom is and what you think is the real wisdom today. How is that different from what people might normally think of as, uh, the, you know, conventional wisdom? You know, I think there's nothing that's one size fits all in the finance world. As you know, there is no gospel. And for me, it was really important to help young women especially stop just accepting conventional financial wisdom and start thinking for themselves. So first, you need to know the rules and then... Uh, you can know how to break them, so to speak. But I think it's really about realizing that there is nothing that is a total truism in the finance world, except perhaps buy low, sell high, and it's better to beat low expectations. But other than that, um, there's nothing that I've heard that's a total truism, even after I got all of my financial certifications as well. So I think for young women, especially who might be scared of getting their financial lives together, they hear things like, don't buy a latte, uh, buy a house. <laughs> and I think that that um, advice doesn't apply to a lot of uh, young women, especially. And perhaps in some cases, it's better to buy a morning latte, which I make the case for a small indulgence that keeps you on track and keeps you from binging later on and renting a house. That's okay. The finance gods will not come down and get you. 
that <laughs> people do feel guilty about <laughs> small pleasures in many cases. Now, it you makes... talk about uh, some people often say uh, it's not a sprint, it's a marathon. You have to have long term things, but you're saying it's both a marathon and a sprint. Uh, what do you mean by that? Yeah, I think you need to come up with the goals in all aspects of your life. So I break that down. I love alliteration in the three F's of finance, family, and fun. And looking at your long-term goals and realizing that you're going to need money to achieve those goals in the life you want. But also in the near term, it's creating a sustainable financial diet. So you know, while you say that people might feel guilty about buying a latte, I say don't. If that latte is something that is your extra. I break down a little budget diary, which for women is the only LBD they'll ever need and will never go out of style. Um, not a little black dress. But that also breaks down for me in the three E's. So we have the three F's and the three E's. The three E's for me are essentials, end game, and extras. With 70% of your overall take-home money going to essentials, everything you need every single day, your housing, your transportation, 15% going to the end game, which is the future you, savings and retirement, and then 15% going to the extras, which is the latte or the yoga class. Jordan, I'm sure you're a yoga connoisseur. Um, and yes. A mani-pedi, I'm sure you indulge on those in the weekends. <laughs> um, but what? no, all kidding aside, whatever does it for you, I think allowing yourself extras within your budget is a sustainable financial diet. I think a financial diet is a lot like a regular diet. If you allow yourself small indulgences, you won't binge later on. So if you allow yourself for a Hershey's kiss, let's say in a real diet, uh, then you won't binge on a big old hunk of chocolate cake in the middle of the night later on because you feel so starved and so deprived. I think the same analogy holds true when you're thinking about a financial diet. So a lot of people are recommending kind of a strict financial diet and you're saying that it, it becomes unsustainable because people are so deprived they're going to break it in some big way. Whereas if you have small indulgences, uh, they're not going to have to break out from under it. That's basically what you're saying. That's right. I think it's unrealistic to come up with something that feels uh, so uh, like so much deprivation. I think it's inevitable that you end up binging because you feel so deprived and starved later on. So I think it's really about looking at your financial plan uh, in the same way as a diet. And if you have a diet that actually gets you to be the weight you want, it includes you know a sustainable eating plan, and it's not a crashed diet like a master cleanse or a grapefruit diet or an Atkins diet or one of those fad diets. I didn't want to create a fad diet for money. I wanted to create a spending plan, which again is a euphemism for a budget uh, because it doesn't feel as bad. It's something that's sustainable and that you can stick to. It's getting at the psychology of it as well as the finances right. of it. Very good. All right, we're going to take a break. Uh, this is Jordan Goodman of The Money Answer Show. My guest this hour is Nicole Lappin. Uh, her uh, website is NicoleLappin.com, and her new book is called Rich Bitch. We'll be back after this. Always talking business. Talk to an expert. Call now, toll free, 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. It's a sad fact that fraud is rampant in today's business environment. The headlines scream about once prestigious organizations falling victim to or crumbling due to the consequences of fraud. How do you keep fraud from affecting you and your business? Tune in to Fraud Talk with host Chris Marquet. 
Chris has over 30 years of fraud investigation experience, business intelligence, and is a renowned security consultant. Chris and his guests will inform you and help keep you from being the next statistic of fraud. Tune in Mondays at 10 a.m. Eastern Time, 7 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Leadership is a vital skill set in today's competitive global economy. Being a leader is not enough. To succeed, you must optimize your performance and know how to imbue others in your organization with leadership skills. Practical, actionable leadership insights are the focus of Leadership Development News, hosted each Monday at 9 a.m. Pacific, noon Eastern, by Kathy Greenberg and Relly Nadler on the Voice America Business Channel. Doctors Greenberg and Nadler, who coach global leaders on how to be most effective, will share their insights and contacts. The path to leadership excellence begins here. We're always talking business. Talk to an expert. Call now. Toll free. 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. You've been listening to The Money Answer Show with Jordan Goodman. If you have a question for Jordan or his guest, please call us now at 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Now back to Jordan. Welcome back to The Money Answer Show. This is Jordan Goodman, your host. My uh, guest this hour is Nicole Lappin. Uh, her website is NicoleLappin.com, and her new book is called Rich Bitch, and uh, it's just out uh, this week. Uh, the subtitle is A Simple 12-step plan for getting your financial life together, finally. Welcome back to the show, Nicole. Thank you so much, Jordan. Now, one of the things you, you have throughout your book, what you call confessions of a rich bitch, and one of them is you should have a professional girl crush. Now, what do you mean by that, and how do you find an appropriate girl crush for you? <laughs> uh, yeah, for me, it was really important throughout Rich Bitch to talk about stories openly and honestly. I think that's the only way to tell a really good story. And my publisher called me and said, Nicole, are you sure you want to go there? Are you sure you want to talk about everything warts and all? And I said, absolutely, because this is the only way that other young women in particular can either laugh at me, I'll happily take it for the team, um, learn from me, be inspired by me. But either way, it's about telling stories in a authentic way. So when it comes to a girl crush, I had a great mentor uh, when I was on CNBC. And, you know, I actually joined her show, which was, uh, she's a rock star in the media world. And she called me uh, to join her show. And we would talk a lot about my voice, what I was wearing on the air, and all sorts of other career-related things. And one day she called me and said, do you want to get married? And I said, well, gosh, um, we just met. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> and, um, she said, do you want to get married? And I said, I have no idea, but can we talk about my performance on the air? And she said, no, seriously, do you want to get married? And I said, I don't know. I haven't really thought about it. I'm really focused on my career. I, you know, have a ton of things I want to do in the media world. Can we talk about that? And she said, this is just as important and you need to come up with a plan in all aspects of your life, not just in your career, because they all need to be compatible. So at that point, I actually wrote down my goals in my personal life uh, by one, three, five, seven, and 10 year increments, which sounds completely nerdy. And I didn't want to be that girl. Uh, maybe you've met some of those ladies uh, throughout the years who need to get married ASAP. Um, you know, I wasn't that girl. But I realized that once I created a cohesive narrative for all aspects of my life, things didn't feel so out of control. I was 
uh, struck with anxiety when I couldn't answer a mentor's question. And I never wanted to feel that way again. In fact, that little question, that little bugger of a question that you get all the time, whether it's from a coworker or a family member, what do you want to do? It's sometimes the littlest question that gives you the most pause. And for me, it created a lot of anxiety because I didn't actually answer the question. So studies have shown that women who create cohesive narratives for themselves are more likely to be successful. So once I did that for my professional girl crush, for my mentor, um, I could be laser focused and uh, things didn't feel so chaotic. So how did it work out? This was, I assume, a long time ago. Have you, in fact, achieved what you were looking to do in one, three, five, ten years. I did not. And that's the point of writing down your goals in all aspects of your life. It keeps you laser focused and it keeps on track, but you also reserve the right to change those goals. And so when I first wrote them down, um, you know, I changed them many times. My first family goals were year one, make time for dates, even if I was exhausted or wanted to be working. I was on a very early morning show on CNBC, by the way. It was called Worldwide Exchange, and it was the only global show on the network. So I started on the air at 4 a.m., uh, Eastern time. So I was exhausted all the time, needless to say. Uh, year three, it was date one person seriously. Year five was considered getting married or engaged. Year seven was considered having a kid. And year 10 was considered having more kids. And it seems silly to me looking back at this. Um, but I changed that goal sheet many times. I actually met a guy who was divorced and had a child. And so life happened, but I kept amending my goals as I, as life did happen. And that's what you're recommending for your readers, that they Put goals down, but be flexible if things change. Absolutely, you should be. Do, have you mentioned who your uh, girlfriend crush was, or is that? A <laughs> I have so many girl crushes. It's true. Very. I have a lot of professional girl crushes that I talk about throughout the book. I don't name them because it's not really the point of the conversation. <laughs> but I joined an all-female charity board uh, in New York as well for women in need. A rock star group. The CEO of Diane von Furstenberg and Burberry are on the board. I mean, it's just a rock star group. And, you know, in the book, I talk about these women being professional girl crushes for me as well. And I didn't join the board uh, for of a charity in order to network, but it was a unintended benefit of that. And so these girl crushes that I have um, would do anything for me in the business world and I would do anything for them, too. So I think, you know, looking at your network and uh, realizing that people want to work for people and with people that they like is really important. And for women to stop compartmentalizing work and fun. Fun can be work and work can be fun. Embrace the blurred lines, Robin Thicke says. <laughs> Indeed. Now you have a, a section on assets and liabilities. On the, the liabilities is what you call the dark side. Uh, you talk about your credit report. What are some things people don't realize about their credit report and how to improve it uh, that they, if they're not looking at it on a regular basis? You know, I think just touring the country, I've gotten a lot of questions about a credit report as well, um, it being, of course, your financial report card. And I, I think a lot of people are stumped by the myriad of options to check your credit score. So annualcreditreport.com, I don't need to tell you this, but I will tell all of our fantastic viewers listening or um and say that that's the only legit one to go to get your free credit report every single year. So um, I think really the number one thing to improving your credit score, of course, is to pay your bills on time, which sounds like I'm a dictator, but really that's the best way to improve your credit score and that it's tied to any financial move that you want to make. So really looking at it as your report card, but also you know a grade, of course, that uh, can be improved with extra credit. 
Do you think a lot of people are not really aware of their credit report and their score and get surprised when they apply for credit or get turned down, things like that, that they're not really kind of tuned into it? You know, I was actually on the air this morning on Fox in L.A., and I was talking about, uh, you know, the idea that you shouldn't open major credit lines before uh, you look to get a mortgage or refinance your home. Um, there are little things that a lot of folks don't realize when it comes to uh, handling their credit score or handling their credit reports or even getting their credit reports. And I think, um, you know, I wouldn't want to generalize by all people, but some that I've spoken with you know, have said that it is a scary topic. It's also a scary topic to talk to your significant other about. But, you know, in the same way that you would talk about, you know, who you've been with or other secrets that you might have in a relationship before you get married, I think a credit score is a super important one to talk about as well, because money is the major cause of divorce. Uh, in mm -hmm. fact, you know, uh, most happily married couples will say that money is a joint affair. Um, and so looking at your credit score together is something that you want to do before there are any surprises. So that's something like on the first date you should ask what his credit score is. Is that the idea? I don't know about the first date, Jordan. <laughs> I don't know if you would have a second date if you asked your credit score on the first date. Uh, but I think it's definitely something that you want to discuss, especially if you are on the marriage track or you're planning to move into <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. Now you have what you call seven bitches who are always broke. Uh, are you one of these people or you know, do you know somebody who is? So let's go through those quick, quickly. The first one <laughs> sure. is bitches who try to keep up with other bitches. So what's, what's wrong with that? You know, and again, I just want to, if anyone is just tuning in for the very first time, we were using the word rich bitch as a empowering term. I'm, I'm taking back the word bitch and owning it. Um, I've been called a bitch in a derogatory sense. Um, I had a pretty awesome career early on and, um, you know, I wanted to take back that word and own it. So just FYI. But yes, um, I would say I'm not a bitch who's always broke. Um, I have been in debt. Uh, I got myself in $5,000 of credit card debt and then I got myself out of it. Um, and I tell my story about how I did that. And I think for um, rich bitches in the making who are constantly, um, you know, plagued by their online shopping, which is what I've been hearing about a lot. I was actually just on the Wendy Williams show and talking about uh, talking to women who can't stop um, online shopping. And I suggest to them to clear their cookies and stop being a cookie monster, um, mm -hmm. so to speak. You know, cookies are obviously something that advertisers drop very skillfully and remind you of things that you may have looked at online, whether you're on different websites and the pair of shoes that you looked at, um, you know, keep coming up and popping up and haunting you until you buy them. And maybe you had a bad day or maybe you got a bad email and you see those pair of shoes and you're like, oh, I'll just do it anyway. So I suggest uh, to clear your cookies, to go in your settings and clear your cookies is actually a good way to uh, curb those temptations. And then your second one is people who do not have a spending plan, uh, and you're saying people should write it down. In many cases, people just spend and don't really have a sense of where their money's going. Is that what you're saying? Yeah, so the spending plan that we talked about in the previous block uh, is, of course, the little budget diary. So 70% going to your essentials, 15% going to your end game, and 15% going to your extras. And, of course, allowing yourself four extras so you don't end up binging later on. And women who I've spoken to who are just starting a spending plan for the very first time, I actually advise them to take the 15% of extras out in cash 
take it old school, especially in the beginning, uh, because it's much easier to swipe and guesstimate. And guesstimating never helps anybody when getting on a budget for the very first time. Uh, so take that part out in cash. And when the cash is done, the party's over. Until next and then, month. And then you say, bitches uh, who don't have savings in the bank, if you have money putting aside, you're earning nothing on it today in the savings or checking account. Where would you say people should put it where they're going to get some kind of return and still have it be uh, available to them? So I think three to six months of uh, savings for the oops or emergency fund in case, God forbid, you lose your job, you get sick, your family member gets sick and you can't work. I think that is okay to leave in a savings account. Of course, you're getting diddly squat and, uh, you know, accounting for inflation, you're actually losing money. Um, but beyond that, throughout the next steps, we talk about uh, retirement. We talk about, um, of course, investing as well. So you can actually grow your wealth. But if you are, if you do have a precarious job, like a real estate broker or an actress, I think six to nine months is better for an emergency fund. And one of them is you say that uh, bitches who care too much can get into trouble. How can you get in trouble by caring too much? <laughs> I think it's always, you know, successful people, uh, Warren Buffett has said, uh, say no more often than yes. So I think it's really about knowing that time is valuable. It's the only thing that you can't pay for and you can't get back. So it's not about giving to charities you can't really afford to, things like that. Uh, well, if you really can't afford to donate to charities, then donate your time. Yes, indeed. Very good. Okay, we're going to take a break. Uh, this is Jordan Goodman of The Money Answer Show. My guest this hour is Nicole Lappin. Uh, her new book is called uh, Rich, Bitch, Rich Bitch, uh, A Simple 12-Step Plan for Getting Your Financial Life Together Finally. You can find out more at her website, which is NicoleLappin.com. We'll be back after this. Stocks, bonds, investment opportunities, financial news, and talk. We can help. Call us now toll-free, 866-472-5790. 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. want to know what's really going on these days? Well, Capital Thinking takes you inside the worlds of policy, politics, law, and business. What happens in Washington, on Wall Street, and in our nation's legal system impacts your business every day. We're taking you on a behind-the-scenes tour of all of it. Each week, we bring you unfiltered conversation with a variety of influential policymakers, lawyers, and business leaders. I'm Kevin O'Neill, and I'm your host as Capital Thinking tours the halls of power. Join me for Capital Thinking on the Voice America Business Network each Thursday at noon Eastern and 9 a.m. Pacific Time. Have you had a chance to check out Voice America's online magazine and blog, Press Pass? If you love our hosts and shows, check out articles that give an even deeper perspective. Plus topics about health and fitness, movie reviews, philosophy, business tips and tactics, spirituality, positive thought, current events, and even more about your favorite host. It's just a click away at VAPressPass.com. That's VAPressPass.com. VA Press Pass by Voice America. All access, all the time. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. You've been listening to The Money Answer Show with Jordan Goodman. If you have a question for Jordan or his guest, please call us now at 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Now back to Jordan. 
Welcome back to the Money Answer Show. This is Jordan Goodman, your host. My guest this hour is Nicole Lappin. Her web website is NicoleLappin.com. Uh, her new book is called Rich Bitch. Welcome back to the show, Nicole. Thank you so much for having me, Jordan. Such so a you have a chapter called uh, you have a chapter called Putting a Roof on It. Uh, home is where your stuff is. What are some of the things people need to know about making the decision of buying versus uh, renting? and uh, getting that home right in the first place? I think the three things you have to ask yourself before considering buying or not is one, are you gonna live in the house for a while? Two, can you afford it? And three, do you have a steady job you love? And if you've answered heck yes to all of those questions, then you could be a good candidate for buying. But buying is not the ultimate for everyone. In fact, uh, more often than not, folks get into a situation that they can't afford. And when you are a homeowner, look in the mirror. You are your own landlord. So you're on the hook for everything that goes wrong in the house, which, as you probably know, um, can add up very quickly from snow patrol to uh, if you get termites and everything else, uh, that of course you don't get back. So a lot of people will tell me that renting is just throwing money away. And I say, it's like eating it, people, you know, would say eating is throwing money away because once you eat it, it's gone. There is a cost of living. And there are a lot of those expenses, including closing costs that you don't get back. Indeed. So, um, a lot of people say that younger people today are not as interested in buying homes and they're renting in a long-term way. They just don't want to be obligated with it. They don't see housing appreciating that much. They don't want to be tied down. Is that, you think, what makes sense long-term is a lot of younger people not to buy in the long run? I think if there's any question, I think renting is the way to go, um, especially when you have a delusion of thinking that home ownership is an investment or you're actually going to make money. Um, it may have been true once upon a time, but since the housing crisis of 08, of course, there's no such thing as a sure thing in real estate. Um, I would say buy a house only if you can afford it and you really want to live in that place for a long time. But don't ever fantasize of actually making money off of it. And it's also this bugger called inflation that folks forget about when they say, oh, my grandma bought a house for $50,000. And then, you know, 80 years later, it was worth $300,000. Well, guess what? When, you know, your granny was also uh, uh, buying that house, maybe uh, a, a movie ticket was a dollar. So I think that there is this idea of inflation that folks sometimes forget about when they look at appreciating values of homes. Your next chapter is on uh, transportation, food, and other essential expenses. What, what is really necessary and what are people spending more than they really need to be in those areas? I think on leasing a car, um, you know, I debunk the idea after every chapter of conventional financial wisdom. And I help women especially think for themselves to become a rich bitch, which, again, is a great thing. It's about someone who speaks the language of money and takes control of her own finances. So when it comes to a car, it's buy used cars cheap and run those jalopies into the ground and then sell them later on. But leasing, I don't ever suggest um, Unless, of course, there's a particular um, situation with your business that you can write it off. So that's on cars. How about food? With food, I think it's important to realize that Cheetos are going to be more expensive than a fresh piece of fruit any day. So I think it's about investing in yourself, which pays most dividends later on. Um, dividends, again, another term in the back of the book. Um, to find it an easy way, but also to to say that buying fresh and taking care of yourself uh, 
staves off any health concerns which are pricey as well. And then healthcare, a lot of younger people go without health insurance, they don't feel they can afford it. Uh, what do you re recommend in the healthcare area, and particularly with what's going on with health insurance these days? You know, this is a case-by-case -case situation, obviously. So um, this is something that I think a lot of young people uh, forget to put in the essentials category. Um, it doesn't go anywhere else, folks. But when it comes to paying for your future self, when it comes to the end game, let's say, of retirement and what you're amazing future you is going to be. It's also very important to remember that that is not a bill, that you're actually paying for the same you, just the older version of you. So I think it's a lot about reconciling the idea that it's not a bill. It's actually paying for all of the awesome things that you're going to get. It's really about changing your mindset and then your finances will follow. Now you have a health insurance cautionary tale. What, what is the cautionary tale of what you found out doing it yourself? Oh, wow. I've had many cautionary tales um, and many hours on the phone with uh, healthcare providers. Yes, um, I got into a, a Cobra and I ended up having uh, the bills sent to my apartment, but then I moved. And so uh, I ended up losing health insurance and then paying a boatload for it. So I talk about some of my stories openly and honestly about uh, going through my misadventures. Those are always more fun to talk about. Um, folks like those more than my adventures or my success stories um, throughout getting my financial life together in all aspects. You also say that people should in general do auto pay to make sure they pay things on time. But also you say there was a dark side to bill auto pay. What's the dark side that you found? You know, the dark side is uh, not actually opening your bills because if you do pay via auto pay and that gets boosted somehow and you're not even opening your bills, uh, then you could get uh, screwed that way. So that is one uh, idea of how dark the dark side of auto pay can come back to bite you. Um, but it's also really about uh, it, when it comes to credit cards, a lot of folks will say, well, can't I just cut up a credit card um, and be done with it? And I say, no, keep a recurring bill that is paid via auto pay on that credit card because you're amassing uh, a better credit history and you know that it's going to be paid. So instead of cutting a credit card up, allow for a minimum, uh, well under the minimum um, uh, balance of, via a utility bill or something like that, which is what I do. Your next chapter is on uh, paying down debt and, as you put it, getting the monkey off your back. Uh, credit cards is a problem, but for a lot of younger people today, student loans is really the biggest problem. Um, what do you recommend to avoid getting into student loan debt in the first place? And if you have a huge amount of student loan debt, how to deal with it so it doesn't kind of just tr dramatically change your lifestyle for the worst? I think it's about prioritizing in order to pulverize. So when I got myself, as I mentioned before, into $5,000 of credit card debt, um, I ranked my debt in order of highest interest rate. So I think it's really important, um, for, especially for young people, to rank them. And credit cards are most often going to be the highest interest rate. So you're going to want to get rid of that first. Uh, often it feels very cathartic to get rid of one loan altogether and just be done with it and rip it up and like check something off your list, but that's not the best way to go. So for me, when I got myself into that debt, I broke it down um, and I gave myself a deadline. In the news business, being a news anchor for over a decade, I love deadlines. So I gave myself a two-year deadline and I broke that down by the day. That was $7 a day. And in New York, that is uh, half a glass of wine. <laughs> so I thought, 
well, I could do that. And um, so I really stuck to it and I remembered the pain and that's how I didn't get myself back into it. So on the student loan particularly side, the numbers just can be so awesome when you get out of school and you have you know, 100,000 or more in student loan debt. Uh, how can you uh, kind of attack that and make some real progress on it and still have a life? Uh, you should have a life and you should attack that at the same time. Absolutely. Student loan absolutely can be staggering. Um, if you're extremely lucky, you don't have them. But, uh, you know, even uh, the president and the first lady finished paying off their student debt before he entered the Oval Office. Right. So you're definitely not alone. Twelve percent of all members of Congress also carry student debt. Um, so I think it's really about, uh, you know, thinking about whether consolidation is a question I get all the time. First of all, you know, look at your timing and realize if you're going to consolidate, have a good plan to get that under control. So your the rate doesn't uh, skyrocket. And then also lock in that fixed rate and, you know, assume your, uh, assume the advice, don't assume I should say the advice that you get from your college financial aid office was actually right. They're not working for you. They're working for the college. And then don't get scammed by those so-called consolidation experts who claim to lower your monthly payment so that somehow you'll be paying less uh, each month than before. This would be awesome if it were true. But that standard consolidation fee is actually um, an administrative fee and something that you can do on your own. So those are some of the things that I, I like to tell people when they ask me that particular question. But what uh, an interesting trend that I've seen from talking to young women especially is when trying to date um, – this idea of having a burden of this debt monkey, which is, I think, a great visual because that's how I felt, um, is a breaker for a lot of relationships. I think it's, you know, you, you're smart. So financial experts will tell you that's good debt. Well, there's only so much good debt because <laughs> that you should have. It's like good fat. Yes, avocados, Jordan, walnuts, all good fat but don't gorge yourself on them every day or you will become fat. So I think, you know, think of your student debt in the same way. And I've heard heartbreaking stories of young women who have a boatload of student debt and said that they're going on a date with a guy who said that that was a breaker for them. And they were devastated. They said, I'm smart. I got my PhD or whatnot. But, you know, this guy doesn't want to go out with me because of my student debt. And I actually don't blame him. Um, you know, if he has his financial life together and you are carrying this debt burden that now you're going to have to share, makes sense. You know, there are certain things that are breakers. And this actually, the, I've seen a trend of this being one of them. So on the, on the first date, you're not only asking his credit score, but how much debt he's got. Is that right? Not on the first date, Jordan. I am hoping that folks get to the second date, so don't do this on the first date. But definitely keep this into consideration. If you want a long, happy, sustainable relationship, these are all things that you need to be open and honest about for sure. Yeah. Now, it really is changing people's lives because people are going back and living at home again, not able to buy homes and cars and uh, families and so on because of the huge amount of student debt they've got. It's not as though they wanted it, but they don't find any alternatives. I'm hearing today that grandparents are going to debt to pay for their kids' college education because the parents are already maxed out. So I'm kidding about it, but it's a real problem that a lot of people are just totally maxed out, their entire family and grandparents as well, with yeah. the amount that's going on these days. Absolutely. I mean, all in all, you ultimately pay two to three times the principal you started with to finish off the loan. I mean, it's the only thing that doesn't get 
um, crossed off when you go through bankruptcy. I mean, it's, it's, it can be criminal. Uh, that's what I let hear from a lot of young people, especially starting their lives, even just trying to pay down, um, the interest first, you're not even uh, eating into the principal first off. So, um, so no, it's definitely a, a consideration in the ramifications that it can have on your family and also budding relationships as well. And then even more so, you say private lenders don't have mercy. The public ones, there could be a lot, but the interest rates are reasonable. The private ones can be even higher interest rates and more burdensome. Is that what you're saying? Yeah, and you have to take those crazy rabid dead collectors on. Don't be scared of them. Don't pretend like they don't exist. You know, um, so, you know, they can be mean, they can be cruel, um, they can be scary, uh, but really all they want to do is make a deal with you. So I talk in Rich Bitch about how to make a deal with uh, private lenders um, who might not have mercy and might make you uh, want to crawl in the fetal position and cry. Don't do that. Talk to <laughs> You have to talk to them. Very good. All right. We're going to take a break. This is Jordan Goodman of The Money Answer Show. My guest this hour is Nicole Lappin. Her new book is called uh, Rich Bitch, uh, The uh, Simple 12 Steps Plan for Getting Your Financial Life Together Finally. Her website is NicoleLappin.com. We'll be back after this. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. Have you become a member yet? Sign up now to become a member of Voice America. It's always free and easy. Plus, you get to take advantage of some great member benefits. Get unlimited access to millions of hours of on-demand content across all of our channels. Keep track of your favorite episodes, shows, and hosts in your own customizable library. Find out what shows you might be interested in based on your favorites. Plus, you get insider access with our newsletter. Membership gives you more. Sign up at voiceamerica.com and click register at the top right. We hear it and read about it every day in the news. America is heading over a fiscal cliff. Home prices are still receding and unemployment growing. How can you preserve and increase your wealth in this kind of economy? Tune in to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with host Jay Taylor. Jay will explain the decline of our monetary system and the economy and will give you winning investment ideas and the tools to protect and increase your wealth. Turning Hard Times into Good Times with Jay Taylor can be heard Tuesdays at 3 p.m. Eastern Time, 12 noon Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. What does conscious leadership mean to you? It unites organizations instead of dividing them. By exploring commonly based business challenges, it guarantees an increase in your bottom line. Tune in to Minding Our Business, Creating a Spiritual Economy with your host, Nadine Rogers. Each week, we'll hear from business leaders and learn from their strategies. We'll talk about personal and organizational best practices that you can learn from, and we'll hear from you. Minding Our Business airs live Mondays at 11 a.m. Pacific Time, 2 p.m. Eastern Time on Voice America Business. Get the news on our shows and other happenings by following us on Twitter. Find us at VoiceAmericaTRN or Twitter.com forward slash VoiceAmericaTRN. You've been listening to The Money Answer Show with Jordan Goodman. If you have a question for Jordan or his guest, please call us now at 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Now back to Jordan. Welcome back to The Money Answer Show. This is Jordan Goodman, your host. My guest this hour is Nicole Lappin. Uh, her new book is called Rich Bitch, 
Uh, her website is NicoleLappin.com. Welcome back to the show, Nicole. Thank you so much for having me, Jordan. So you talk about the end game a lot. These are kind of longer term kinds of goals. Uh, you're saying that saving sucks, but so does being broke. So how do you, <laughs> in, in the midst of all these things we've talked about and saving money and avoiding debt and student loans, how do you also keep in mind these long-term goals for savings and do them both at the same time? I think you come up with a sustainable plan, as we've talked about throughout the show. Coming up with a sustainable spending plan is the ultimate thing you need to do to stay on track and keep yourself from binging um, on other big purchases by allowing yourself a small indulgence. So I think it's re really about coming up with something that is uh, sustainable and allowing yourself for 15% of your overall take-home money to go to whatever your end game is going to be and start changing your mindset to think of that as being your future self and just being you. Because I think there are studies that show uh, we sometimes think that's a totally other person. So it's about reconciling the idea that that's just you and you want the future Jordan to live an awesome life. So think about all the awesome things you're getting with that 15%, not thinking about it as a bill. There are so many books in the diet space that say think thin to be thin. Well, I think that's a bunch of hooey. <laughs> but in the financial world, when you start changing your mindset, then your finances will follow. Let's talk about investing a little bit, particularly for younger people. Uh, again, they've got these debts and student loans and all these things weighing on them. When should you start investing? I'm not talking about saving, but having money that's going to be growing in stocks, bonds, mutual funds, and so on. And how can you pick appropriate funds when you have a relatively small amount of money, but you've got a lot of time for it to be growing? Yeah, I think the best thing to do is to first make sure that that emergency fund that we talked about, the three to six months, if you have a consistent job, or six to nine months, if you have a more precarious job, is all set and tucked away. Then, uh, as you mentioned, go through the end game and figure out the best retirement options for you. It might not necessarily be a 401k. Um, it might be a Roth IRA, and it might be a combination of a bunch of different things, which I think is the ultimate um, for retirement. A lot of young folks think that uh, 401k was intended to replace their salary. In fact, it was not. Um, so coming up with uh, a maxed out uh, awesome retirement um, plan is super important before you move on to investing. Um, and then, of course, you need to come up with the money, the, the small fund, in order to invest that money. But a good gateway is uh, index funds, which, as you know, uh, track the market. And that uh, in investing is the best way to grow your wealth, accounting for inflation, which is 3% over time. Um, over time, the market will yield 10%, so it's the best way to make it grow, baby, grow, and then realizing that investing is just not that serious. Is it better for younger people to be more aggressive? Because um, I find a lot of them are very conservative. They say, well, I've only got a small amount of money, so I can't afford to lose it. And they're therefore not very aggressive with their investing. Yeah. In Rich Bitch, I come up with a uh, easy, uh, moderate, and aggressive plan. And I think because young people don't have a lot of money, but they have a lot of time, then they definitely should be more aggressive. You also have a section on taxes, uh, particularly people who are out on their own for the first time don't think too much about taxes. What are some things they should be thinking about to uh, minimize their tax liability but still do it all right? Well, I think minimizing your tax liability, of course, depends on your particular situation, which we get into a little bit within Rich Pitch, but it's also about looking at your taxes 
of course, we're coming up to tax season right now in steps. I love steps. My whole book is a 12-step program. And within those steps, there are more steps. It just feels easier to tackle when you take things in steps. So when I first sat down to do my taxes, I didn't say, hey, you know, Nicole, I'm going to sit down one night and do my taxes, soup to nuts, and that's going to be, you know, my night. Uh, I would have never done it. I would have ended up with a pint of Haagen-Dazs, a bottle of wine, or maybe both with my taxes undone. Instead, I said, okay, day one, I'm going to uncrinkle my receipts. Done and done. And I felt really accomplished because I had done one small thing. So breaking down your taxes into baby steps uh, is a good way to actually get them done. You have a whole section on putting your career in overdrive, as you call it, work it, bitches. So uh, what, what is the way to improve your career? A lot of people feel stuck in their careers and don't really see much upside. You know, entrepreneurialism is a big winner of this recession. Um, I have seen so many young women especially say they want to be the next Sarah Blakely, who, of course, started Spanx. Um, and demo- um, entrepreneurialism is democratized more now than ever before. So it's much easier to start your own business, become your own boss. You can head on over to Staples and get a business card that says CEO. So the great part about all of this is that entrepreneurialism is democratized. And so the barrier to entry is very low. The bad part about it is that the barrier entry is very low. So there is only so much fake it till you make it you can do until you actually have to become real. And so within Rich Bitch, I have a uh, quiz that you should take in order to decide whether your idea, and a lot of us always have ideas of what ifs or what, you know, what we would do as somebody who is fun employed. That's a huge movement that I've been seeing. Um, and to decide whether or not that's a viable business or maybe it's just a hobby. And if you are boss material as well, because I think this idea is so much part of our zeitgeist that I really wanted to uh, approach it head there's really been a lot of uh, recent studies that younger people are actually starting fewer businesses, a lot of very high-profile successes, but overall there's actually fewer starting because it's so hard to get capital, they've got student loans, uh, young people are very risk-averse with what's happened in the economy, so it looks glamorous, but in many cases people aren't even trying these days. It is. It looks glamorous, and I can tell you from starting my own businesses as well, it is not so glamorous. I, and I tell a lot of people, don't fly the G4 before you have the G4. <laughs> so, um, you know, there are a lot of glossy covers of magazines that you see glorifying entrepreneurs. And yes, uh, those are few and far between. Um, and it, you assume that you're going to fail if you are starting a business. So I wasn't actually just talking about young people. I think um, we've seen mompreneurs, we've seen um, people people who have been laid off or furloughed and taking their life and career and their destiny into their own hands. So, um, you know, I think it uh, spans different generations and it's not necessarily uh, folks just out of college. We have about two minutes to go. So kind of tell in a summary of all of this, what a difference it will make in people's lives if they take the rich bitch attitude and put these things into effect as opposed to what most people are, are doing, which is not doing that. Well, becoming a rich bitch, as you know, is not about deprivation. So I argue for allowing yourself for small indulgences to keep you on track and uh, keep you excited about your money. Women want to be financially independent. I never learned about personal finance in school. I went to the school of hard knocks. I got my MBA there. So I wanted to create a jargon-free zone that allows women to join the conversation and feel empowered. So, uh, again, do you find that it, it's, it's somewhat psychological as well as financial to be able to make these changes in the way people look at things? 
Yeah, don't compartmentalize your money and being just your checkbook or crazy numbers and math. It's not about that. It's about living the life you want and then realizing you're going to need money for that. So when I wanted to learn about money, I looked at a lot of books and a lot of them were frankly very boring and they weren't relevant to me or the place I was in my life. So I wanted to create Rich Bitch as a relatable book for every stage of your life from your first job, apartment and checkbook to merging bank accounts with your future spouse and then also planning for retirement. Very good. Well, thanks so much. Uh, I've enjoyed this. My guest this hour has been Nicole Lappin. Uh, her new book is called Rich Bitch, a simple step, 12-step plan for getting your financial life together. Finally, uh, her website is NicoleLappin.com, and you can find out more about the book. And she's got various social media things, something called the Rich Bitch Challenge there as well. So thanks so much for being a guest on The Money Answer Show, Nicole. Thank you so much, Jordan, for having me. So much fun. Thanks again. And we'll be back with another edition of The Money Answer Show next week. Goodbye for now. Thank you for joining Jordan Goodman and the Money Answer Show. If you have a question for Jordan, please visit his website at www.moneyanswers.com. And be sure to tune in every Monday at 12 p.m. Pacific Standard Time right here on Voice America Business. See you next week.